So we're joined by Ben, Ben around the world, as we're going to call you. Uh, you're cycling around the world. You started how long ago? Uh, just over three weeks ago, on the 20th of May. So you've you yeah. cycled for, say, 20 days and you've reached, you've, you left London. Um, yeah. And you've reached Bulgaria. Yeah, I'm in Sofia, Bulgaria now in my uh, friend's flat, which is right under the flight path to the airport. So you might get the occasional uh, landing Ryanair flight <laughs> in the middle. But uh, yeah, it's yeah, good place to be. And obviously, this is uh, the first time I've done any live streams or recordings for Hoxton FM from the formless studios, we'll say. And yeah. it was it was an effortless, easy setup, and it didn't take any time at all to do. Um, we haven't just been uh, back and forth for the last hour yeah. and a bit. Um, it was all effortless and seamless and, and perfect. <laughs> yeah, under the covers, there's nothing going on there. It's just all uh, all smooth. And you were uh, laughing at me adjusting the camera constantly and uh, <laughs> the yeah yeah. All the news, all the newsreader jokes and everything. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just waiting for your kids to come in, and you have to try and sh shimmy them out without showing that you're uh, you're not wearing suit trousers below the uh, below the camera shot. Yeah, I am. I am wearing shorts. Uh, I'm inspired by your uh, quest to cycle around the world. I've started running. Ah, um, yes. Yeah. I, I obviously, whenever I upload anything on the Strava app, I then see what you've uploaded. Oh, no. Kind of a bit different but um <laughs> yeah that's what that app's mainly for it's just about really just feeling really demoralized about someone else who's doing something uh even better than you the the guy who designed the ben around the world logo george uh, he's awesome but it's really annoying because every time i go on strava he's just run like a three minute 59 per kilometer like 10k down in newcastle I just don't even understand how he can uh i can actually do that um that's what Strava's made for. What bastards, yeah. That's, um, there's always someone. There's always someone better, isn't there, or, or doing something differently. Yeah. Um, That's I just, a good life lesson. Have you seen this guy, David Goggins? No. The, the ultra marathon runner guy? My oh. God. Guy like the first guy to be a Navy SEAL and nice. a Ranger and something else. It did like 20 <laughs> years and then. And then got to his like 40s and says, I'll just do ultra marathon running and, and he did all the Death Valley run and all these sorts of things he's done. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's, it's pretty scary. The, the guy just does stuff to make himself uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't understand what the, why the ultra running has become popular now. It's an interesting little trend. I think it might be off the back of the sort of tough mother thing and the fact that everyone just wants to sort of outdo each other for probably for Strava, to be honest. But um, yeah, a mate of mine just posted that he's going to do his first 50k last weekend, I think, and uh, and yeah, I mean, I thought a marathon was pretty pretty tough. Um, like this, these this trip is long distance, but it's not fast. It's really, you know, it's like 120 kilometers a day, but that's in 12 hours, <clears throat> so it's not anything like an actual race. It's pretty pretty leisurely paced, to be honest. So. I'm interested that people are trying to do that themselves, really. But it's all posturing, isn't it? As you say, Strava's the posturing. You've got um, doing it for charity. Uh, oh, yes, yeah. You've got, and you've got, I think the other thing is, is when you look at people like Eddie Izzard running all those marathons every day, these people yeah. running a marathon every day, and you're kind yeah. of like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And then you're like, oh, they walked most of it. Oh, yeah, they're yeah, not, yeah. You know, they're not going to be able to run it in, 
Yeah, anyway. That is the truth, actually. Yeah, a lot of ultramarathons are walked for, for a lot of it, especially if you've got like you know, a couple of days or something to, to get in. But I suppose if you keep, it's just the fact that you keep going and keep, don't sleep. And I don't know, I quite like the sort of concept of just leaving with a, having to have a head torch on because you're going to be out there for so long. But um, yeah, it's pretty nuts. So you're, you're cycling with um, panniers and, and like quite a lot of stuff. That's the other thing. Yeah. Like my, my assumption initially was like, oh, it's just riding a bike. And but you're like, you've got a lot of kit with you as well. Yeah, well, it was, it's become a bit ridiculous, really, with the bikes just sitting here. And it's, um, it's this bike that I've had for a long time. I think if, you, if the reasons why I'm doing it, kind of, I, the only reason I'm, or main reason I'm doing this is because I've got a bike named the World Tour and I sort of had to live up to the name of the bike by uh, actually doing it someday. That's where the dream came from. But it's, um, it's very well loaded up. It got a bit ridiculous because I was building it so late last minute. I just kept ordering all the parts I needed, all of the kit I needed, and just kept piling up and up and up. And it was about three days before I left, before I actually tried to put everything together. And um, there was literally just stuff hanging off the back of the bags. Um, no room for certain things. I just had to like tie stuff up with bungees and cables ties. And um, it was a bit ridiculous. All in all, it's about uh about 50 50 kilograms the entire bike um which i definitely feel going up hills i have to say uh i've ridden there before with some lots of trips i went across spain last summer following um the route of a laurie lee book uh but i had it super light there and in spain you can basically on a boris bike stop every kilometers and there's a hotel a, a petrol station the supermarket all there for you but um in the places i'm going i hopefully will need some of this kit so um, can, can you just summarize the blog post? Um, I, I thought it was a really, really inspiring post. Um, I kind of, I feel like so much now, uh, I can hear a plane coming. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's, you, 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 you've kind of, everything feels like a cliche. Everything feels quite um, you know, convoluted and everything, but yours came across really, really genuine. And, and um, I know a lot of people like Normski were, you know, really, really taken mm. aback by it. Um, yeah, can you yeah. summarize it in a few words? <laughs> <laughs> in a few words. Yeah, it's, I think the core of it is that it's, it's a dream that I've had since I was a kid and things have conspired in my life to, to get me to the point where it's actually potentially possible now to do it. <laughs> so I, I sort of jumped at it and uh, I've always found it, found it sort of, strange to do things for for a set reason and obviously i i think there are charities that do great work and um but i think there are a lot of people that do things for for a charity um as an excuse or for or that's a good reason but in a in a worst case things like doing it for instagram i i was really obsessed last year with um buying a van living in a van for a while but as soon as I saw the Vice documentary about the fact that people are living in vans so that they can get sponsored two grand to wear a watch on Instagram, I was a bit, uh, I was a bit put off that fact. So for me, I think the core is doing the dream first and then applying things to that that make sense. So when I published that post and obviously people didn't quite read it, so I put it out there, I got a couple of people asking me, oh, I work for so-so brand or um, would you take sponsorship from, from so-and-so? And, and I think, um, like my easy answer at the beginning is no. I think if things work out, 
later on to to help me achieve that dream, then that would make sense. But um, I think really what it's all about is, is yeah, it's following it's following that dream of of going around the world on my little world green world tour bike. I've recently kind of been thinking about this, and I, I wanted to talk to you about it. I might as well say it to you now. I I really like the idea of um, if you're using products um, or services just really like shouting them out but you know in a pure way of like i like this product i like this service yeah and then if they you should definitely dangle that under their nose but and yeah. then if they respond in any way then that's great but you're doing it kind of you're sticking not sticking your neck out but you're endorsing something that you've bought or you believe in oh yeah, yeah. um and then if there are kickbacks afterwards they're almost kind of um warranted but it, it's it, yeah it keeps everything genuine um that's a good way to think about it. I think the, th <clears throat> the thing with me is that the, when I looked at it, I and, and like I was lucky enough to speak to um, a friend of mine who um, was in who I met paragliding, who went to the Mongol Rally. I think I might have told you this um, a few years back, and he got was sponsored for that. I thought there's a lot more money to have a Land Rover and all the equipment you need to drive to Mongolia from, from wherever that race starts. Um, but he said that basically the trade-off for a free Land Rover was that he worked for that distributor um, every day for the entire trip. Every day he had to do the X number of posts, um, make sure he wrote the right, the right amount, make sure he filmed video of everything, getting the right shots of the logos and all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's bullshit. Yeah. It's bullshit. It's just like, um, this is exactly like my former life accessing subsidies for businesses. You end up jumping yeah. through so many hoops, filling in so much paperwork, and then you might get some matched funding. But essentially, yeah, you right. have to do, you know, like you might as well do it yourself. You yeah. might, and, and I think the, the nice thing about the way you're doing it is you're independent completely. You're doing it on your terms. You're doing it your way. Um, you're not just cycling around the world. You're, you're continuing to, to, to work a few on a few different projects, including our projects with uh, yeah. uh, video and live streaming, which is, is great. Um, but uh, you're, you're studying as well? Yeah, I'm studying uh, a degree in economics with development at the LSE <clears> through <throat> this amazing international programs program, which is designed for international students who want to, um, to get an LSE stamped degree um, just without having to go <laughs> to London. So I can take the exams from 77 universities around the world. I just have to know a good few and um, take the exams there which is awesome and that links a bit back to the sort of branding thing as well because i'm more interested in sort of supporting and working coming out of the startup world and the music industry world i'm keen to take those skills and and expand them into projects that are really life-changing for people i think a lot of startup culture is about changing the world but people forget to add whether it's changing the world for the better or i suppose people don't care they just care that it's changing the world and making a stink and, and um, disrupting, you know, and that kind of thing. So for me, I think I want to be taking my next project once I come back from the trip or wherever this trip morphs into, into that kind of area of, uh, I'm not sure what it'll necessarily be. I mean, the degree is very tailored to getting a job at the UN, which is not very startup uh, at all. But I think there's a middle ground there of taking those, the, the, mor the morals and the ideals of those big NGOs and applying them to new and interesting businesses in a way um so those are the companies i'd want to get sponsorship for like if i look at my bike the most expensive thing i have i don't know is i don't know probably i don't know probably like the gears on the bike or something it's a few hundred quid 
if someone was to sponsor me, give me some free gears. I mean, there's not really a lot to me. I'm lucky in that I can afford to pay for everything I need to travel. So really now I'm looking at, you know, can I use this trip to get working placements with, with the UN um, as, I, as I go around the world and then apply that to, to whatever I do next. That's great. And you can, you can always adjust. You can always do something different. You can change your tack. You can literally choose a different destination or a different yeah, area yeah. you want to build your, your skills in. Um, we should really recap on, on what you've done already because um, you, you don't tend to kind of blow your own trumpet. I, I met you yeah. because Hoxton FM needed a, a media partner to or a platform to uh, put all our live streams through. Um, so we were introduced by Petter Savage, who was you were all in the same building in, in um, yeah. co-working spaces. And um, you started Chew TV. Um, yeah. And that that like was an amazing platform for us. But what did you do before that? Before that, I, um, well, going backwards, I suppose, I worked at um, Vice for a year doing sort of ad, ad technology stuff. I, my background is a, as a professional developer, really. Um, and then before that, I worked for a company called AEI Media, who are, who are well known in the sort of electronic music and the YouTube MCN, music MCN space. Um, they've got brands like UKF and Drum Mace Arena and Subsoul and things like that. Um, so I had a real sort of music industry um, and media background before then, and I was doing a lot of live streaming and stuff as part of that on top of the, the work I was doing as a developer. So um, yeah, it all kind of came together into Chew, and I've got a lot of kind of time now. I, I left Chew a couple of years ago, and uh, or almost two years ago now, and it's I've got a little more perspective on it now, and it's it's just an amazing thing to have been able to do. I have to say, like, it's talking about dreams it's really it's really one of those things where i got a chance to create something that i really wanted to exist in the world and and we really managed to get it to a good point so by the time i left we had some like quarter of a million djs from around the world all streaming their shows on there and um when i look back at it i it's just it's incredible and it's still going it's still growing as far as i can tell it a lot of people i've spoken to say that they've still they've had still had really good numbers recently so um, it's not the same since you left, I'll be honest. Oh, really? <laughs> um, oh, you don't have to say that. You know, no, it really, it really isn't. It really isn't. Um, <laughs> but and you, you also did quite a bit of freelance work uh, after you left Chew. Um, yeah. You, can you name drop a little? Yeah, well, I, I did a lot of sort of startup consulting, some back, going back to doing some development, which is always good fun. Um, and I ended up through a number of connections working at Universal Music for the last nine months which um was brilliant really um came at a really interesting time where pre just before gdpr i suppose so i, I left just in time <laughs> to not have to deal with that <laughs> but um but we just worked on some amazing projects like it's, it's incredible to come as a sort of techie music musician um, dj music fan to come from the sort of indie side of the world creating your own business working with small independent independent labels creating new talent and, and working with those that level artists and creator and then but there's you can't you can't deny that there's some you know there's some excitement for sticking sticking U2's website up or or um or Rolling Stones or or whoever it is you know um Katy Perry or whatever <laughs> there's a certain thing about about 
building websites for the uh, for the stars. That's that's a certain level of uh, nerdy gla nerdy glamour, I'd say. Good way to describe it. I just I just love the fact that you've done stuff from grassroots and you've done stuff at kind of the top level. You've kind of mm. got all all this perspective, and now you're like, right, I'm going to cycle around the world. <laughs> and I'm going to study for this degree. More, get a global perspective on that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah, that's totally. What it's all about. It's... I think the um, it was really interesting doing that switch from independent startup. You know, with Chew, it's really we were really we had a lot of conversations with Universal. A lot of um, I know knew a lot of people there before I worked. I went to work there for a little bit, but um, as a small company, you have to be very you know bullish and. Uh, you hear all the people say, you know, labels are ruining the industry and this kind of stuff. And then you you work, you go you go to the other side of the curtain, and you realise that you know there's, there's there's a lot of talk on both sides, but I think they, there there's an existence there, and there's a different kind of thing. You know, um, one of the things that <clears throat> um, I've made a little video about is a book that I got recommended recently called Uprooted by Jace Clayton, which is super interesting. Um, it's about how He's a DJ himself, and he just explores all the kind of um, kind of details of of uh, a music culture. But he he's really he talks about how um, the latest Rihanna record had had something like forty five credits in production credits on the uh, on the actual release, and he he sort of said this in a derogatory way about how 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 can you call that you know a, a creation or something and. But for me, it's not the same thing. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like it's kind of like watching Hollywood blockbuster versus like an indie movie. Like you might you get more you might get more substance from like a sort of a Norwegian vampire thriller that was filmed on a tiny budget by like three people. But but there's still value and art and like unbelievable creativity in the sort of coll uh, collaboration that goes on. This unbelievable collaboration of of hundreds if not thousands of people to put together something at that level so um that's an interesting perspective that i've gained from the music side of things and now really i want to try and take that perspective and take it to a global global point really and look at sort of music and, and creativity and what we're doing and business and startups and apply it to an actual the rest of the world i suppose yeah it's, it's, it's interesting you were saying so we were talking as we were getting this all set up and you mentioned in this kind of first three weeks of cycling, you were pretty much deprived from any internet access. Yeah. And um, then you've kind of, you've, you've arrived at your friend's flat in Bulgaria, in Sofia, and you've kind of ended up like re-immersing yourself in um, yeah. access to the internet. And it's kind of, it's, it's kind of got your brain, so it's harder to sleep. You're saying you're kind of just- Yeah, up. yeah. Like, it, it, that's really interesting that you've, you almost cleansed yourself for these, these three weeks, <laughs> and, and then it was really interesting, yeah. Because it was well, the thing is, like, I, I was telling everyone, oh, you know, from May the twenty first, twentieth, when I go, or twenty first, when I go on the ferry, I'm going to be that's it. You know, you're not going to be able to talk to me ever again until I get to Bulgaria. But the reality is, in the thanks to the EU for, for, for however long that lasts, um, I have unlimited data. All, all my phone package applies across the entire EU basically so I got to you know I get to Belgium and I can still stream live Netflix onto my phone if I wanted to you know? so but but really uh, what I love about one of the things I love about um about cycling and cycle touring and is the sort of this 
So this cycle you get into a really just basic, fulfilling basic needs. I'm sure there's a great psychological explanation below it, but it, it's really just all you do all day is travel, find food, find shelter, speak to people, like see, there's novelty all day, you know, it's like a really nice little world to live in. So realistically, I didn't, I just didn't really connect at all until uh, online much. I just sort of uploaded my one Instagram photo every day and my Strava, obviously every day if I could do it. So you're, pu you're pushing, this. you're pushing out at that point. You're not really no. like, you're, 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 yeah. you're making your post and then you're getting off and you're carrying on with, with your cycler gatherer uh, lifestyle. Cycler gatherer lifestyle. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, that, and then I'd use it for, you know, trying to get, um, I got an amazing um, host in warm, there's a site called Warm Showers, which is a network for cycle tourists, basically. So if you do a big trip, um, or, well, if you just like cycling, I suppose, you can sign up to the site and, and you can either offer your flat to be hosted. It's kind of like couch surfing, I suppose, but for cyclists, you offer your your spare room or whatever to cyclists that are coming through and in return you can when you go on your next cycle trip you can stay in there um, but yeah so i use the phone to communicate for that but then by the time i got to serbia which is the last country before um bulgaria for some reason three doesn't have a, an agreement with them so i was totally totally cut off um in serbia and how did that and, feel uh, it, it i thought it would be um i, I had I had reservations about it, but realistically, it was like life went on, and in fact, it was, it was, yeah, there were, wasn't really any different, to be honest. I mean, my only sort of technical vice, in a way, is that I've been listening to podcasts and audiobooks a lot. That's really what sustains me when I'm in the, uh, I'm in the full, I'm in like the third hill climb of the day, and I just want to get to the top and camp and whatever, and and that's the time when I'll get my audio book out <coughs> or start playing drum and bass out of the speaker, you know, Spotify or whatever. So you've been, do, you've been doing it with a speaker because you're, uh, you, you lost oh, the yeah. headphone adapter. You, you, what, what happened? I, I lost my, uh, because I've got the wonderful iPhone 7 or whatever it is, I, I, the only way I can listen to music is through the little magical dongle um, or Bluetooth headphones, obviously. But I, I have Apple, nice Apple, send him some AirPods. Send the man bags. some AirPods right now. No, well, my ears don't work. My ears aren't compatible, unfortunately, with with those kind of headphones. But yeah, I lost. I left that. I think I might have just left that in my flat. To be honest, a little black bag with all everything audio on it. So I didn't have any audio. But again, I thought that well, like quite rightly, like you said, I could have probably stopped and found a little Apple reseller. And I've got these from Sophia. And there's a little iStyle style store, which is like a little fake Apple store <laughs> that has them. But um, actually, I, it was kind of part of the thing where I just wanted to see. I thought it's only three weeks. I'll just see how it is. And actually it worked quite well. Most, there was only a couple of times where I was on a bit and I just wanted to just, those are some of the times where you want to just get through it, put an audiobook in and get through it. Most of the time I just like have a little bit of music playing if I wanted it for my speaker and go, going through, I've got a ran, very random section of playlists that I downloaded. So going through a sort of North Croatian, like a super poor farming community with reggaeton playing loud out of my phone. Uh, that's kind of cool that's kind of cooler isn't it if you're kind of sharing it I mean you know like have you kind of do you stop at the roadside and interact with people like 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 that or yeah it, it, it depends on the on from country to country really I I tend to I tend to 
Well, yeah, it depends. What's been interesting about Europe is that, you know, a lot of the earlier countries, so Belgium and Germany and, and Austria, they're quite cycling friendly countries, obviously. And there's a lot of cyclists about and they'll come up and chat to you. Um, other than that, I didn't really get a lot of interaction from people kind of in the street. People are sort of in this world with their phones and stuff. <clears throat> then I went into Slovenia and Croatia. I was in the sort of northern poorest part, really like poor, pretty sort of mosquito infested, quite, you know, pretty dire part of the country, to be honest. It, all the towns were just single street towns with maximum 20 houses, you know, all just sort of bare brick. And, and there I just literally would just got gawping. People would just... There'd just be like kids on the side of the street with uh, like, you know, classic bare feet and, and uh, playing in the mud, just staring me down. Um, but then once I got into Serbia, that was the real and Bulgaria. It was just unbelievable. I just as soon as I crossed the border, I would get because I, I was a bit used to sort of people beeping me to move slightly because I ride quite in the out in the road because all the potholes and everything are in the side. So I've used to people beeping at me to get out of the way, basically, and sometimes I'd do it, or sometimes I'd just I'm a bit stubborn and stay in the road. And um, here I, people beeping me, did it, did it, oh, God, here we go again. So I sort of move over to the side of the road. Someone comes past, they're, like, shouting, waving, like, chatting to me out the window, just unbelievably, like, just thrilled to, to see me doing what I'm doing, really. Um, so, so you haven't, you're not flying a flag off the back of your bike or anything, or they just worked out that you've got a lot of kit on board. You're obviously yeah. Oh, well, it's pretty obvious. Is my bike is unbelievably like heavily loaded. You know what I mean, it's pretty uh, pretty heavily loaded. I generally uh, it leads to some some confusion. I think when I stop, especially in these countries, because there's uh, in sort of Eastern Europe where I am now, because it's quite close to Austria and Germany. So, and I'm quite blonde at the moment. So whenever I stop people would start speaking to me in German, which is quite funny. <laughs> so I had to, uh, had to quickly say that I couldn't speak German. You do that English thing where you say... shops and things like that. And um, in... Uh, um, yeah, just... Go, yeah, in going to supermarkets and stopping at water. Water's quite a big one, you know. Stopping, I went into uh, asking cafes and restaurants and things for, for water. I think what I found is, you know, I think a lot of the cliches of this kind of travel are that, you know, everyone is friendly around the world and there's this image of, we get the media image of um, everyone is scary and foreign and everything. I think the reality is that people are people everywhere. So there's always going to be the arsehole in whatever town you are. So there's always, you know, there's always, the, there was the kids throwing stones at me in Croatia or the guy shouting boo out of a van in Serbia, which I think is so, so childish. I remember like doing that as a kid, <laughs> like driving around Norwich and someone's like people carrier and shouting out the window to try and scare people. That was such a thing. But then there are equally, you know, like there are in, in, in certain parts of uh, the UK, you know, there's like or everywhere there's, there are the nice people and the friendly people and people that will come and chat to you. And there's no link between those. Like there's generally people from all, all ages and demographics and everything that will come and come and chat to you in the kind of kind category. So, uh, yeah, it's an interesting balance to find. I think throwing stones sounds a bit, a bit much, but, um, yeah, I, I could handle it. I could handle a boo. I, I think that's, that's fine. That was a, yeah, that was an interesting experience. I think it was that you could tell it was a sort of, so this was, this was in Croatia, Northern Croatia. And I came around the corner again into these, one is really super poor, just like, it's a, a group of farm buildings. Um, there was a, just a bunch of sort of, 
It seemed like mid, like early teens, basically, sort of teenage teenagers hanging out on a Sunday afternoon, nothing else to do, and there was there was a sort of a, yeah like a like a thirteen fourteen year old kid hanging in a tree, and he decided to uh, to sort of impress his mates by um, by shouting shouting random stuff at me and throwing a rock at me, which is an interesting one. Um, yeah, I was just sort of their entertainment for that afternoon. I feel. But, um, uh, uh, it was interesting afterwards. It, it didn't really affect my my image of the country. I think. Uh, well, actually, maybe because Croatia, the northern part of Croatia, is yeah, it was was not my not my favorite. I have to say, but um, like I said, I think there's a balance between uh, between between the uh, the good people and the bad people wherever you go. Really. I I wonder. Um, we should have sent you away with with some Hoxton FM stickers, or at least a Hoxton uh, FM flag to fly off the back of your. Well, I've got a, still got the Hoxton FM sticker on the front of my bike. Perfect. So you're leading the way. Perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's not so good flying a flag. It could get you in trouble. And. Uh... Oh yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that. I've got my little um, Union Jack uh, cycling cap. That oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. You should. And I was thinking we should have asked you to um, whenever you meet a nice person to ask yeah. them what music they're listening, what their favourite music is. Yeah, well, I've got, um, I've actually tried to make a music link from while I'm here. So when I was in Belgrade, I stopped there for a night um, to explore the town. Amazing. I really, I I was blown away by Belgrade. I I, I stayed in a little hostel and I just went, um, I asked the, the woman that was working there, you know, because there's there's a certain kind of person that works at a hostel, you know, people that want to meet, meet people and they're kind of in with the city, I think, generally, the people that I found. Um, when they're younger and they're volunteers, you know, well, not volunteers, but like staff at a hostel. And she gave me some recommendations of where to go. And so I said I was vegetarian for food and I was waiting for a, for a funny look because I sort of expected, I'd seen so many pigs going past in the trucks and every time I go into a shop, it was all pork products. But she was like, oh, I know this perfect place. And I went down to literally two blocks down and there was this, basically it looked like a burnt out house. I went inside and there was just like, just sort of some wooden beams across uh, some metal sort of uh, trusses and there's a waitress sitting there and I was like, is this, is this the restaurant? And she's like, yeah, can I eat some food? <laughs> she said, yeah, would you like to go into the garden or eat here? And I was like, the garden, obviously. So she led me down into the basement, basically out the back and we're on the slope below the big famous kind of fortress in Belgrade that overlooks the river and it's on this mass, really steep slope down to the river <clears throat> and it's this unbelievable, unbelievable courtyard between three or four buildings got like a modernist bench over here they've got like John Coltrane playing over over like a, a analog speaker wide in they've wide in they've got a little family of kittens there playing and I asked for the menu she gives me two sort of Soviet era books all in um, all in Serbian and I you open it up and in the middle there's like a hidden menu and it turns out it's like a vegan Mexican place which is at to my favorite kind of food in the world so uh i really I, I felt like you know i could have been anywhere there i could have been in paris i could have been in, in shoreditch i could have been in brooklyn it was unbelievable um but in terms of music <laughs> i asked the same thing and i went hunting i found some uh just little stalls basically i was only there for an evening so i couldn't get to any shops but i found uh, this little stall that was selling selling um music and they had this sort of uh basically the sort of pop classics in the front and then in the back 
you got to the sort of um, uh, Serbian like folk music and stuff like that, and that's the stuff that I wanted. But the I wanted to listen to, but the um, I, I'm, there's no way I'm carrying vinyl. I've got a ridiculous amount of stuff <laughs> with me, <laughs> but but getting green vinyl is just too much. So, um, but I found in uh, Sophia, I've got a recommendation to who, who gave me this the original record store that opened after uh, after Bul- Sophia became the capital of Bulgaria, and um, I'm going to go and hunt down some music there. So I'd, I'd like to sort of use you to put out a call to the Hoxton FM uh, community, really, as well, when every time I'm going through somewhere to find out where I need to be going, really. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm new here, and I don't know. I need to know. I, it's always finding the right people, right? You know, you could end up at, at the HMV equivalent <laughs> if you ask the wrong person. So, um, Well, funnil- funnily enough, funnily enough, uh, when I went to Tokyo, I was asking for tips on record shops. And people kept saying to me, yeah, HMV. And I thought, oh, yeah. I'm not going to HMV. And actually, when I went to New York, it was the same thing with, um, I think it was uh, Rough Trade. And I just thought, oh, yeah. I, I, and in New York, I thought, oh, I'm not going there. And then afterwards, I realized, actually, it has a really good music selection. And HMV yeah. is the same. It's completely different yeah. to our kind of stereotypes of, of those shops and kind of what what they supply so yeah um it, that's true, but yeah. people are very very keen to tell you where to where to check out so and it'd be yeah. it'd be great to get even like a short video or your pick or you, you're saying you're doing a chart is that online or you, you're putting any something up online somewhere yeah with... um i'm gonna try and do what in terms of music that i find or... yeah just a taste that would be i think it's really yeah. great to kind of open people's ears a bit yeah 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 well i'm trying to basically i've got I've got a, some playlists uh, that I put together in each, as I go along. It's been quite hard in Europe because it's there's just so many countries. I struggle with languages and that for that reason as well. You know, it's like I learn how to say hello, how to say folk in Croatia, and then like I'd be go- the next day I'd be in Serbia. So, oh. um, but now I'm more. Uh, but but now I'm coming out of Europe and the countries are much bigger. I literally it's a, an entire month. My entire cycle so far is basically what it'll take. I've got more time to sort of build the some sounds in a particular place and i'm keen to do it i quite, i'm not quite sure what i'll do yet i'd quite like to do a mix or a playlist or from each from each city or each country as i go but we'll we'll figure it out got the old embola.com on there so i'm gonna put my i'm gonna put my cheesy pop playlist that i listen to when i need to get up a hill and then i'm gonna put my my uh my unique sort of underground or not necessarily underground but local picks from from wherever i stop as well on there so we'll figure out the format that's great. That's really great. So yeah, Ben BenBowler.com. Um and just quickly going back, because no one likes a vegan. Um but <laughs> you, you you're still vegetarian, but you're kind of you, you kind of you're getting dairy into your diet because it's just too difficult to um... Yeah. I think I've I've um I've been vegan for about nine months while I was in London before I before I left the trip and I never really became vegan for a big ideological uh, statement. I it kind of became, I, I became a vegetarian about, I don't know, maybe two years ago, but grad, but not, never said I was, I just gradually stopped eating meat and became less and less interested in me. And then London, it's actually just so incredible to be vegan right now. It's, it's the most unbelievable place. Like you, there's, a, there's probably a new restaurant opening every week there to try out. So it, it actually was easier and if I find it easier at home to cook <clears throat> vegan anyway, once you're over that sort of month or two of 
getting used to the products that you look for in the supermarket things it's, it's actually uh, i think it's easy people say oh my god it must be so hard but it's so easy anyway yeah but in terms of cycling i, I could i could probably be vegan um and like around the world i'm sure it, it would be doable but for me it's it's more about that's not why I'm doing it. You know what I mean? And also, one of my main reasons for being interested in, in veganism is the, apart from the health side, is the sort of environmental impact and the food supply chain and things like that. And in different countries, it's it's an entirely different process. So um, it's the the kind of fully mechanized dairy system is probably not the same as it is in um, compared to like wherever the random cheese comes from that I get by over the counter in a, in a like a Serbian supermarket. Um, so yeah, I've been having a lot of cheese. <laughs> That's the, the short answer to that. Um, it's weird though, because kind of like you were saying um, before while we were setting up, the, I did find that dairy is sort of, a, it's pretty, can can be quite, make me quite, make me quite sluggish in a way. Um, I haven't really noticed that because I've been tired out by cycling so much. <laughs> Rather than, I'm not sure what's the effect of the dairy, what's the effect of the 100-mile bike ride that I did the day before. Um, I've unwittingly copied you almost exactly, but been about 9 to 12 months behind you. Um, maybe so you're going to cycle around the world next year, yeah? Uh, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe I'll just run, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, no, the whole, the whole for health thing, and but I think also, because you're not preaching about it, you're not telling anyone about it, it's, it's, um, it's your choice um and i think also you you know you you give yourself uh all these amazing opportunities to meet new people to to try new uh delicacies of all sorts i mean you're, you're gonna do it i mean i i ate fish i ate fish when i was in japan i've, I've got to be honest um yeah yeah uh you know and and it was great um yeah but but the thing is is uh yeah as i say no no one likes a vegan so you know, neither of us are going to go on about our diets, but it was just very interesting to kind of see that you, you, you know, you had to kind of slightly adjust. Just yeah. To, and I'm sure in different different parts of the world, it's easier and harder. Like, you know. Yeah, it's true. I'm interested. You know, as I go into the Middle East, what it'll what it'll be like, um, food wise, and yeah, and maybe able to get away with a lot more beans. I mean, the, the, the one of the things that's that that kind of agrees with me to the fact that I think it would be hard is that the only beans I've been able to find in the supermarket are kidney beans and which are, I just find after a while are incredibly boring basically yeah yeah <laughs> so if I basically have to eat kidney beans for a few meals a day but I mean I'm sure I'm sure there's ways to do it but um but but yeah I, I was interested in Belgrade by the fact that there was loads of graffiti that was like turn vegan turn vegan and this restaurant, this vegan restaurant that I came across was, uh, was unbelievable. And even someone here, when I said I was vegetarian um, here in Sofia, they asked me if I was vegetarian or vegan. So it's obviously it's spreading. The uh, the trend is spreading. I I for it really. Um, but then you go to you know you go to a small town and there's just, there's people there's like people buying and selling live pigs in the street. So it's, um, it's interesting to see how it will how it will spread and grow. I think. I think it's a real it will become a real zeitgeist at some point from even if it's not from the welfare angle from the environmental angle i think it'll become uh if it's not already become a major trend um i just want it to become a sort of a serious embedded thing do you know what i mean i feel like a lot of the vegan 
content that I see and blogs that I see are really targeted at the sort of with the hemp uh, right. bagging bell bottoms or whatever, and and um, and the uh, yeah the vegan dog masters or whatever. But the but really, I think when the sign will be when a canary wharf chain like when a temple of Satan opens in Canary Wharf, that'll be at the time when veganism has actually kind of grown into a wider into the sort of the mainstream in a way into you see someone in a suit in a uh, oxford shirt eating eating at a, <laughs> eating at a vegan restaurant then i think you know it's, it's started to spread and that would be a good sign for me yeah absolutely absolutely um so you've been you've kind of started you've kind of left with this huge uh 50 kilo uh like uh, was the bike and the baggage is 50 kilos bike and right? bags, yeah yeah um, I'm just wondering if there's now you're three weeks in, if there's anything that you'd have done slightly differently or, you know, yeah. the, ne the next time you decide to ride around the world, um, yeah. uh, what, what are you going to pack less or have you, have you kind of dumped anything or? Oh yeah, absolutely. I've, I've been dropping so much a lot along the way. It's, and you that's... mean gifts, gifts to people, right? Yeah. Oh um, yeah. Basically I, I mean <laughs> the, the, one of the one of the biggest things is that I learned that I should always believe I should always um, do what what Dan suggests because one of the things that we chatted about before I left was we were talking about how to document this thing and I'm really keen to to build obviously this will we've got Cox and FM but I'm hoping also to put it on on my YouTube channel as well and build out um, a channel there a little bit of of what I'm doing so I'm keen to sort of film what I'm doing as I go um, so obviously I went out and bought a a uh, Sony A5000 camera um, with a big lens and uh, and I've got I've still got the gorilla pod I haven't thrown that away um, quite yet and uh, I got I filmed my sort of departure thing with it my farewell and I filmed some bits of me in um, in the Airbnb because when I when I cycled out of London I cycled with a big entourage um, and then when I got to the Airbnb the next day suddenly everyone left and I was on my own so I filmed all of my sort of little bits of the camera there but I found with taking a camera like that was not actually the size and the weight of it but it was actually the media management which which to me is exciting it might not be exciting to many people but what you don't realize with an iPhone is that when you take a video or a photo that's automatically like geotagged with where you took it so that it appears on your nice little photos map but also you can then edit it on, on the same device, you can share it on the same device, you can cut everything together using iMovie, like a full-on video editing app on, you know, on the phone. I've got the Insta360 camera as well, and you can bring in videos from that, edit it all on the phone, and then you can share it out as well, you can publish it. So I found a camera is actually a really, feels like a really dated device, because you take a photo or record a video, <clears throat> and then it doesn't have a GPS tag, it's on this SD card, which you then have to try and import into somewhere at some point. You have to manage all these different SD cards. You have to have a different, I have a, an adapter to sync with my phone, my laptop. And actually, I was just like, for the quality difference, it did look a bit better with a nice little blurred background. But I'm, I'm just going to record it on my phone. Do you know what? It, I can do so much on there versus that camera. So that's the biggest thing I learned. I believe, yeah. trust what Dan says. I was, I <laughs> was imploring you. I was imploring you. Um, but and I'm very uh, envious that you 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 know again shout out to Petter for suggesting the well he had the Insta 360 
Nano, uh, which mm. I borrowed when I went to, to New York and everyone was like blown away by it. And then he said to me, you need to get the Insta 361. It yeah. attaches to your iPhone. It can work independently. You can, atta- you can stick it on a piece of string and swing it around your head. Oh, yeah. you, can, you can get yeah. am- amazing shots. You can use the tiny planet function for photos and videos. Um, as you said, you can kind of edit everything on the phone. Um, we're kind of getting into the geeky section of, of uh, oh, yeah, yeah, this chat. But... But in, yeah, in terms of the more like the kit side of things, I think, I think I've generally been okay. The one thing that I've um, sort of found less is that I sort of had a bit too many clothes. I started to, I, I tend to just now stick to these sort of my little Reben around the world tops. Um, so I, I'm, I'm sending back my sister, who's my um, my HQ uh, in Oxford, um, a few extra clothes, things like that. I'm trying to think what else. Other than that, um, lots of GoPro adapters, a lot of camera stuff. Really, uh, is is what I kind of took too much of. Um, but you, you you know the, the the anxiety for geeks like us is not having the right cable, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, a lot of a lot of extra cables. I think I had maybe eight. USB micro cables when I got to Sophia. <laughs> so I've literally just was like, okay, yeah, I I, I'll have one backup one. And I'll have one in my primary primary thing. Um, it's possibly going to be yeah. the most readily available cable to you in yeah, the world, yeah. around the world, and you, you, you've <laughs> left, you've got eight of them. Yeah. Um, and then I suppose the other big thing, which, um, which a couple people have kind of taken the piss out of me for carrying, but I have my paraglider on the back as well. So yeah, tell us a bit about paragliding, um, your, your background in it and everything. And uh... yeah. yeah, so one of my other real dreams and passions as a kid is flying. So my, um, when my parents split up, my dad started learn- learning to fly so that he could fly over. It's a very dad thing to do, I have to say. <laughs> so I want to fly over the country to, uh, to where my mum had moved to, to pick us up and fly back home. So um, we, unfortunately, he never... Um, we never actually did that. We, we got to fly together a little bit when I was younger, but not too much. Um, but he got me a trial flying lesson when I was 13 in a glider. Um, I've flown something like uh, 70, 70 or 80 flights, flown solo in, uh, in fixed wing gliders, the big white um, long wing ones. I've flown about 25 hours towards my private pilot's license, um, all while I was still living in Norwich. And then I made the mistake of moving to London, where the nearest <laughs> airport is... <clears throat> two hours away and costs, costs extortionate amounts of money to learn to fly or to, to rent a plane there. Um, so recently I've been really interested in, in paragliding. It, it's, it's an unbelievable thing, really. It, it's it developed from freefall parachutists with the sort of wire, the big chunky parachutes where you can steer them. Someone, some crazy um, uh, parachutists realized that if they ran off the side of a hill, with these parachutes, with enough wind, they could keep flying and, and thermal and like birds, you know, soar like a bird, very much like a, a regular glider does. And there's been about 30 years now of development to make them a lot safer, <laughs> luckily, um, and a lot smaller and lighter um, to, get, to get to the point where now I've got, it's not not tiny, it's, it's, a, it's maybe about a 30, 40 litre rucksack, and it weighs about eight kilograms but it is a full-on glider, um, which I can carry in that rucksack up to the hill. In fact, there's an amazing mountain here in Sofia, and I've 
I've reached out to the local um, local paragliding group who I'm hopefully going to go in the next couple of weeks. You just walk up the hill with your rucksack, open up your parachute, fly it like a kite above your head. You take a step off the side, and you, it's the most unbelievable thing. Um, I, I, my sister, while we were on holiday last year, I persuaded her to go tandem flying um, in Menorca, and she was didn't stop smiling for three days afterwards because it's the most, like, flying in a dream that you will ever experience because it's absolutely silent. There's no engine or anything like that. And you just, you're just suspended by a small little seat, basically a little cloth seat above, above, you know, nothing, you know, you can go up to 3000 feet uh, in a nice little thermal and, and following the birds. And it is, it's the most incredible thing. So my goal is to, to fly every time I stop, <clears throat> I'm not going to stop bike up and then fly off, unfortunately. But um, I'm looking really forward to um, a lot of spots in the Himalaya in um, in India and in Burr. You can camp on the top of the hill with um, your paraglider, launch off outside the campsite, fly up into the Himalaya, Himalayan mountains, sleep out in the mountains, glide back, land at the campsite for breakfast. Um, flying in Mexico, where they do a lot of the World Cup flying um, in Colombia. Um, there's some spots in um, in in Turkey as well in the coming weeks they'll be flying and that's where the insta 360 camera comes into its own i think i've got a little magnetic mount to connect it to the wing so hopefully you should get some nice videos of me flying in various different amazing places as i go along well i've already seen gopro videos of you flying where, where was it you you did it um before oh, you in bali in bali that's we were, right you know that volcano that erupted <laughs> you you flew over it yeah you, not over it but you, you basically launch off the, off the side um of a cliff down below I have to say, I'd fl I've flown in Spain a lot and, and beautiful sites, but I, um, in Bali it was just something else. Yeah, you sort of go walk up to this, these old fields where they've, uh, old farmland basically, you know, stepped farmland, um, terraced farmland, and they've just cleared it. You pay 50,000 rupiah for, for the pleasure of being able to uh, go on their land to, to fly, and then you pay another 50,000 to the small, uh, the small, like, that 15 year old girl to put your paraglider on her head and carry it up. That's compulsory. You wouldn't let me carry it myself. And then you, you launch off the side and you soar up. And as you come above, there's a temple on the top of the hill. You come above the temple and there's the, the volcano is right there, a huge volcano in mist. If you went now, it, it would be streaming with, uh, with ash. But um, yeah, it's one of the most amazing sights I've seen so far um, flying, I have to say. So and this is great that you're traveling around the world and it, people can mock you all, all they want for carrying an extra eight kilos, but <laughs> it, it kind of drives you on to make sure you do do some, some gliding and stuff, I think, because you, you are carrying it. And um, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's so funny. Uh, I, I always have a go at my dad for carrying so much stuff in a big suitcase when he comes over from oh, yeah. the Philippines, like, like multiple hard drives, external hard drives that he never uses. <laughs> and it's just kind of looking at all the stuff you're carrying and saying, when did I last use that or that yeah, or that? Yeah. But but I think with a parachute, I mean, you're going to get amazing footage. Um, you know, I, I think I think definitely we we should be telling Insta Insta three sixty about uh, what you're doing. Maybe because oh, yeah. they do they do run these kind of competitions and stuff. So um, yeah, that's an interesting point. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, they've got they've got some amazing like wingsuit uh, flights and things on there. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, for me, it's just like. When I 
when I, as I gradually came around to the idea that I was actually going to follow this dream, um, probably about six months before I left, I, um, I thought, you know, as I built, as I got more and more confident that I was actually going to do it, I thought, what the hell, while I'm in this mega, uh, I've got this mega selfish opportunity to do everything that I've always wanted to do. I'm going to make sure I've got a, uh, make sure I've got my laptop and my USB key to, to get tunes and to, and to be in the music culture. I've got the um, paraglider so that I can keep flying and, and doing all that. And it's just, yeah, while I'm in this mode of being able to do whatever I want to do um, or do go fulfill all my dreams, um, I might as well add on the flying element to it as well. I don't think it's selfish at all. I think it's just, it, you know, you've, you've done so much already you're kind of pushing yourself to the to the next level and mm -hmm. um yeah i think i think it's really really great i just wanted to uh, touch upon another thing that you've said to me um the, it's another geeky thing but the the way you're using um a computer um you're you're downgrading as time goes on so you you had kind of a a top of the range macbook pro 15 inch which is what you need these days to to live stream with um, in the in the ways that we've we've done, um, and you've kind of scaled down, scaled down. You're not quite on an iPad Pro yet, but uh, you you're using. I did what, go there actually. I oh right, so you well. went all the way down, yeah. and now you've kind of come back up one to the. It's called a, a MacBook, which is at what size? Ten inch. The uh, it must be twelve inch. I think. Twelve inch. Twelve inch. Yeah, it, yeah. It's it's strange that, <clears throat> because I suppose I think it might reflect a little bit of what I'm doing. Although I don't know. I suppose I'm still doing video and still programming. I think it's just what I need, really. But yeah, it's um, it's the trade-off you make, I suppose, between size and performance. But yeah, when I was doing live streaming every day, you know, I had, like you say, I had the 15-inch MacBook Pro with a, just maybe a quad core at the time and um, just an incredible beast of a machine with enough ports to hang all the cameras off that you need and run the, run a multi-track live stream with an audio desk and all that kind of stuff. And, um, Gradually, yeah, I've worked. My computers have got slower and slower, but but they have got smaller and smaller, and as they go, and yeah, now I'm on on what um what one of my favourite tech podcasters calls the MacBook Adorable, which I think is a great name for it because it is it's it's not a MacBook Air, it is the new MacBook, but this processor is I I don't even know what it is, but the the clock speed of it is is probably the, the slowest the slowest computer I've had out the last last five computers that I've owned. It's basically an iPad, but with a keyboard. Um, but it lets me do programming. Uh, I'm going to see this week how well it does with video and exporting and editing the stuff that I, I've, I've been doing. But you can, I can run um, Ableton Live on it reasonably well. Um, I can, I can uh, run um, Rekordbox just about on the... Uh, record book, on even machines. on a quad core, even on a quad core MacBook <laughs> Pro, say, it's yeah, just, that, that, that it's just guys, it record pioneer, sort it out. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. care which celebrity DJ you get on your next promo video saying that it runs so much faster. No <laughs> one believes you until you actually like prove yeah, yeah. it. Um, I'm not sure they put that out, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Have you just as another little aside? Have you seen this guy? I think he's a Russian guy who's um, basically. He's modding the CDJ 1000, the, the old Mark III from like 12 years yeah. ago. 
He's yeah. he's modding it and he's built a, um, a screen. So he's turned it into basically a CDJ 2000 screen. No way. It's got the waveform, the record box, everything. It uses SD cards right now, but um, he's just working on the... And, and he's he says it's £100 with bits that you have to order. He's giving yeah. away all his instructions, his whole like way of doing wow. it. Um, I, I love I love this kind of this <laughs> approach. Seeing you know, seeing as they're charging sixteen, seventeen hundred pounds for the new Nexus yeah. Two CDJ, and like you can pick up those one thousands in great condition for. I think like I've seen pairs of them go for like five hundred, six hundred pounds. Um, well, I was always amazed when I came to the Hoxton FM studio a, a while back, and you were repairing. A two, maybe it was a two thousand Nexus, a CDJ two thousand Nexus, and and, and they're they're obviously very big physical things, and that's kind of what you want. Well, that feels like that's what you want in a club, right? You need a solid thing that's going to be hard wearing and, and you know heavy, which is a sign that it's good equipment, right? <laughs> in audio circles. But when you you had it apart, I was absolutely shocked about the fact that it was basically apart from the CD burner, which I suppose is quite or CD drive, which I suppose is quite a big component. The, the, basically, it was a small board about you know that, that big. And then those giant buttons, which Jay's absolutely, you know, you absolutely pound on. It had like levels and levels of plastic, and then a tiny little um, micro switch. Yeah, micro switch on the printed circuit board, which I can't believe last. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, amount of use it gets. I think I've replaced the Q button micro switches three times on each deck. Um, nice. I, I even uprated to, to a new circuit board that, that someone's made that is meant to dissipate the pressure a little bit better and, and stop uh, it from breaking. But and I've even replaced the two pitch sliders on them. And admittedly, that you know they are the industry standard. It's the, the feel of that yeah. platter wheel is is really great. Um, I know people still don't get along with them and they, they love playing vinyl and uh, you know you do have to kind of emulate the Serato and tractor emulators, but it's yeah. over. They're overpriced. They're, they're massively overpriced, and and I think it's what you get with market dominance, yeah. Yeah, I think these sort of these sort of hacker guys who are just modding uh, older versions are, are really gonna. It, that's maybe the most competition that Pioneer is going to experience. <laughs> um, I, I know yeah, Denon has Denon has brought out uh, another one of their CDJs, and and I had some of their early ones, and they are very good. But when you yeah. go when you go into a club, you need to know in the dark darkness of uh, the yeah, DJ yeah. booth. You need to know how to use it, and and you know that's why so many people have them because they're yeah. they're in every club. Well, it links back to the brand partnership stuff because like they because they are in ninety percent of clubs. You know they just don't need to give away any kit because they're because you know that you'll buy it. You know there's not an alternative really, is there? It's true. It's true market dominance in a way. I know I know uh, a pretty significant company that uh, I've worked with who were given one a one CDJ loaner from Pioneer, which I think is quite impressive. Because then you have to go and buy a mixer and another CDJ if you actually want to, to use it. Those sort of, they've, I've seen more of the sort of um, RXs maybe being, being given out for sponsorship and things like that, which are, I think are quite cool little ones. Effects boxes, aren't they? Is there, are, they so again? are they the effects boxes? No, I mean the DDJ. No, no, um, oh, the all-in-one. The, 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 the two CDJs and a yeah, mixer yeah. all-in-one. Yeah, the all-in-one, yeah. Yeah, yeah funnily enough... Um, when I went to see my dad in, in this tiny island in the Philippines for the first time, not this year, last year, um, I thought, oh, I'll be able to completely decompress from, from music and DJing and everything. Yeah. And um, 
three doors down, there's a dive center with this amazing German guy, Stefan. Um, and he's, uh, he's some successful like pop artist back in Germany. And he's yeah. brought like a little PA system. He's, he's built a bar right on the beach. And he's like, oh, you're a DJ. Um, why don't you come in and play? And like, lo and behold, he had, he had that bit of kit brand new. And so yeah. I was like playing there every night, just, just. Oh man, it's great, great fun. Like they're, they're really good bits of kit. Yeah, um, it's nice to have it all in there. I think, like I said, that was absolutely what I get. Yeah, there's definitely that link, I think, between between the sort of the between sports and uh, or yeah, like adventure sports and um, and DJing though, because I, I had the exact same experience in Spain when I went to fly out there. I I rocked up actually. I rocked up on my bike for that for my for my training course. I cycled there as part of that trip I mentioned earlier. And I got there and I was chatting to my instructor and he was like, I can't remember how we got into the conversation, but he was just like, oh yeah, I've just got to go to Seville to pick up my, uh, whatever, my new mixer. And he, he'd go to his tiny, his tiny little remote village, which all it's got is, you know, um, uh, olive trees, farming and paragliding. That's like the only two things that go on there. And in his apartment, he's got the most unbelievable, like, it's like a spaceship in terms of lights. He's got all the effects boxes and everything set up with his DJ kit. There's definitely a crossover between, uh, between DJing and uh, diving and paragliding and everything like that. It's a different lifestyle, isn't it, I suppose? I think it, they're, they're things that you can get really geeky about as well. You can get, <laughs> yeah, that's true, that's true. You know, you a lot can of get... to geek about. <laughs> and, I, and I think what's interesting, you were saying about your bike, which is another thing that you can get really obsessive about, and yet... You're going around on this kind of, it's a classic uh, frame, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's, um, it's made, it was made in 1996 by Doors, who are a British steel bike manufacturer. And you'll probably, if now I've said it, you'll spot them around. There's, there's not them around, but. I had one when I was a kid. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, the, with the gears on the frame. On the, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is a classic. I mean, the thing that I, that I really, yeah, like it, I think, what we're saying is for me, I can, we can nerd about the kit, but I think a lot of it is about, and I've been reading a lot of other cycling blogs and there's always a balance to be had between, you know, you can geek out about the kit, but you can, that can be a distraction from actually doing something. So I think whether you actually get out and do it, um, I think this bike is pretty much like, it is designed for what it's doing, but I, I think the reason I love it the most is that I know for a fact that it will outlive me. It's like, it's, it's just made, it's just, you know, how many, five, 10 tubes of regular steel, soldered together, take standard components. Um, I've got a video that I'm going to put up, um, a little time lapse of me building it over took about six hours. <clears throat> it was set up as a road bike before. I'd be powering around London, doing big loops outside London, going up Box Hill, overtaking people on uh, six grand carbon uh, road bikes with my steel frame. Because it's, it's, it's more about you know, actually cycling than the kit in a way. Um, but and now I've, it's completely changed. It's, it can carry my all my racks and all my kind of kit. And I think you know when I get back, I'll stick a you know a baby seat on the back when I've got kids and well to ride it. It'll uh, it'll be my my uh, grandsons or something. But it's it's an amazing piece of kit. It's it's really very physical. Do you know what I mean? It's very different to all the tech world that we're in. It's um, all standard basic mechanics really which is just infinitely repairable. I mean, I think that's a, a really beautiful thing. And um, it makes me think about the, I don't know if this is kind of a, a bit of an urban myth, but um, there was a spate of 
English kind of uh, cars, like sports cars being bought, you know, the old Triumphs and stuff. In, yeah. J- in Japan, there were a lot of people buying them um, because basically Japanese cars were so reliable, they never broke down. And yeah. there was this thing about, I'm going to have this car and when it breaks down, I'm going to roll my sleeves up, get out of the car, get yeah. my toolkit out of the back and I'm going to fix it. Because, you know, there, there's only so much that, that goes wrong with them, you know, car yeah, yeah. things like that. But... Um, yeah that's true there's that kind of thing about being able to maintain something and keep it i mean we're in this disposable generation where like you know for instance um my last laptop died i tried to get it fixed the guy couldn't fix it i took it somewhere else he couldn't fix it and he just said look it's dead give it up you know you and yeah i i don't think i mean with with my kind of setup now i've moved the hoxton fm studio back to uh formless studios um, yeah. I'm kind of, you know, I, I love fixing things and maintaining stuff and nothing really breaks for me because I kind of have an understanding of what goes into it. But I've got like, um, a lot of English built stuff, um, from the hi-fi era. So we've got the floor standing speakers. Actually, those are American, but the, the amps are Meridian and there's, you know, there's only so much that goes wrong with those. Yeah, you, just, yeah, yeah. you can, you, it, they, they were built the same year I was born. And nice. the, the, you know they they could definitely outlast me. Outlive you, yeah. And um, I, yeah, it's amazing that kind of thing. It it's it's a great feeling to be able to just know that that you can pretty much fix everything that could go wrong with it. <clears throat> Obviously, there's um, yeah, we're just moving away from that world. I think. I, I mean, I met um. It's, there's an interesting link, I suppose, with with the trip in that I I mentioned that, that I had a host in Warm Showers host earlier. And, it was in Stuttgart in Germany, and I stayed with this amazing guy called Andy. He's an engineer for uh, for a car manufacturer. Basically, he does he basically does the testing for for new cars. And I asked him. I can't remember why I thought of this, but I think he was telling me a bit about the diagnostics. And you know, when you repair a car now, you basically you plug go it into in. the garage and they plug it in, right? And it tells them what's wrong. And um, I said, "Are the pedals and the steering wheel actually connected to anything now?" And he said, "No." They're not connected, which has shocked me so much. But I don't know why it shocked me because I should have known it. But um, yeah, it's all code that manages whether when you turn the steering wheel, the car actually turns. But the contrast to that is so funny because when I crossed the border into Serbia, the most common car um, that I could see, that was apart from the sort of Soviet, like Ladas and Yugos and things like that, were, uh, were um, or are the original Golf. You know the sort of is it eighties eighties era golf with the, um, with the big back window. It's quite yeah quite, yeah yeah, and they're so small, which is something you don't realise now. But like cars are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, aren't they? As they sort of become more padded, I suppose, and and um, more standard parts. But yeah, like the you know these cars have been going for since they were built in the eighties. You know they're probably fifty years old. Most of these cars, but they're like you say, they're still going and. I'd go around the corner and there'd be the VW Garrett uh, dealer um, mechanic and it behind the mechanic there would just be a boneyard of every type of of that type of car. So there was a Renault garage and then there'd be hundreds of, well not hundreds, but tens of old Renaults in the background. You go to the VW garage because what they're doing obviously is just, you know, car breaks down, go and find the carburetor or whatever from the one that had a broken, had a crash into a tree or something, and had something other wrong with it, and um, and build it in and get it get it working. 
but it's a, it's a very different mindset to the sort of disposable disposable era of things. But it gives us, I suppose, the flip to that is that it gives us sort of more reliability in a certain context, but only within a certain window, maybe, because cars have become incredibly safe, incredibly um, incredibly sophisticated as well. And that's the same with electronics. You know, my phone is now just unbelievably sophisticated piece of kit. It's much more powerful than the first book I had or the iMac that I, that I had. Um, and that's kind of why, it, in a way, it has to be a little bit more disposable because it it's just to make something this sophisticated, you give up the repairability of it in a way. Um, well, I think you can you can change it in you can change parts in and out, and and now the manufacturers are trying to stop us from doing that. Um, yeah, that's true. Th there's a really interesting video up on I think a guy put it up on YouTube, and he's in some province in China where they they kind of they can upgrade your iPhone. They can yeah. kind of put bigger memory in it and, and like do all these things. Um, and they even what? sell the bit of kit that you can kind of um, hack the, the software and everything. Um, but I mean, the argument from like from someone like Apple though would be like in the, in the, in that iMac I had, you know, or the Power Mac, you know, the old Power Macs, you pop the, there's a literally, literally a handle to open it up and you could, so you could look inside because every component is separate. But now if you, well, I, I've done it, as I'm sure you have, like when I've tried to fix my own screen myself and taken the screen off and, you know, taking everything down, all of everything that would have made that Power Mac, that Matter or that iMac is now just one, one board. Yeah. piece of plastic and silicon. Everything is sold onto that one bit, right? So that is the irreparability of it in a way. I think the, the, real, the thing that I get wound up about is the software... Um, um, planned obsolescence part of it. So uh, because I'm sticking to this phone, hopefully for the entire trip, it's really my main thing, my navigation, my, con you know, my communication, my, um, um, uh, where, where I take my, do a daily diary and things like that and camera, obviously and everything like that. But I've had phones before where I updated the latest software and it just bricks it. So I'm not updating this for the next two years. <laughs> That's my plan. Um, because that's that that's is, great. Yeah, I mean, does everything I need to do. You know what I mean? It's 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 just yeah, it's it's a strange process that planned obsolescence element in tech. It's a bit of a bad bad look, I think. I mean, you know more than I. I I, I had assumed that it was the kind of geeky developers just fixating upon making things better for the newest phones, with a complete yeah. disregard for the owners of the the older phones. And as someone yeah. who's still rock, rocking an iPhone six. Uh, myself and, and stubbornly kind of sticking with it and stupidly I did update um, but there was that whole furore uh, that, that um, came out and, and so Apple had to kind of backtrack I think some of their more recent software updates are actually making it uh, more usable for the older phone users and they've also I've just upgraded my battery for 25 quid so I've got a brand new battery in it That's done by Apple um, you know in a matter of hours and uh, yeah, it's it's a funny one. I know everyone wants to slag Apple off, but um, yeah. the fact that you can integrate everything, that, that everything kind of still works the way you want it and you kind of get used to that um, does hook you in for maybe not life, but for once you've got one item, you kind of add another <laughs> one. And um, yeah, would you ever move yeah. to Android if, if your iPhone fails you whilst you're out there? You're, yeah. I don't think so, mainly just because uh, 
I'm I'm full on admittedly um, just embedded in in the in this phone. Like it's probably why it might go slow, but this one has been um, this phone has been restored from successive backups since um, probably since I was in sixth form. <laughs> Um, since I got the original iPhone, you know, um, the second hand off eBay somewhere, the old aluminium one. So it's got my text history, even, even though I'd never look back at a text ever, even from like last week, for some reason I just don't like the idea of losing that, that thread of life. Um, well, maybe, maybe this is a nice link. I'm quite proud of this. Um, just as your dad had bought you that bike and you could very well ride with your, your your children on the bike you could end up giving that bike to your children would you give your backup of your phone as an heirloom with that you, you're writing a diary every day but you know it might be that like that there's this whole multi-layered um entry uh, about you I, I wonder whether historians will be going through donald trump's uh private messages in in generation leafing through the data element of it yeah i mean they probably yeah. already are, to be honest. But um... yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting one. It, that that comes into a sort of data conversation really about like how I think finally we've <clears throat> we're with GDPR and everything. We're living in an era where data is not um, like people are thinking about how to get rid of it. Whereas in the beginning of beginning of um, the internet or the sort of consumer internet, I suppose and everything is about for me anyway was about like logging it like I, I i when facebook launched that timeline that had every you could go back and put stuff in i was going in and putting in key events in my life because i really like the idea of having that big big arc of of my life recorded somewhere digitally um and that's what facebook was for me for a while until it became kind of clear that it was not emotionally very good uh, for most people and for me particularly and and uh i kind of came off that but I'd be intrigued by the idea of yeah having some digital. So legacy. you're not you're not worried about. I think it would be the blog rather than it would be like some digital artifact like the website or YouTube or something like that, some kind of owned video content rather than a physical item now. Um, Will historians be kind of creating the highlight reels from from these things? Um, and and I just wonder whether you're are you. Uh, do do you uh, back up onto the cloud? Are you worried about your data? Yeah, that's that's the only thing. I got the warning um, when I, I don't know, when I was in Germany, I suppose, from the phone, the pop-up that says your photos and your phone haven't been backed up in seven days because you need to be on Wi-Fi and have it turned off and that kind of thing. I've had a lot of uh, bad things to say for Apple Photos, but it, it kind of just about does the job. I think because it's an Apple product, it sits in the background of a phone and just sucks bandwidth and, and does actually upload everything um, if you just leave it overnight somewhere. So um, I would be really upset if I lost like a month's worth of photos or something. Um, if my phone was stolen, for example, but that's why I'm back uploading to cloud. But then saying that I deleted my leaving video um, from the Insta360 this morning. Um, which was absolutely killer because I'd filmed for my helmet or us riding out or with me and all my friends. We rode out from Buckingham Palace to Tower Bridge, Big Ben, all the way out to Canterbury and I filmed the first hour. Um, and then I thought I'd press the export to phone button in the Insta360 app. Uh, and so I wiped all the SD cards 
and then I came yeah. back to the app and it wasn't in there. So I've lost uh, that, which is a shame. I'm, yeah, but, I'm, I'm, I'm big on the, uh, just, oh, wait a minute. So did you, you had it saved on an SD card in, in the, in the Insta360? Yeah. I, so I manually take that little card, that little micro SD out. I put it in the caddy. I put it into oh, yeah. an SD slot and I just drag and drop. And um, my backups, how do you back up? Have you done a massive backup and like left it at your sister's? Have you got like physical backups? Actually, yeah, I did that. I did a backup of my laptop before I left and then left it there. And then I've got a hard drive with me because of the video content. Um, I've got a couple of two terabyte drive that I had stored the iMovie on, but obviously that went. Um, it would, everything would go. Um, so I'm planning to just, I don't know, I want kind of like you said about your Japan trip, I want to make sure I edit and put everything up as I go along at each stop, otherwise it just won't happen, do you know what I mean? So it's, it's, I will have an archive yeah. of each, even if I don't have every moment of every trip, I'll have all of the clips that I recorded on my phone in photos and I'll have the edited artifacts after the fact, which will probably be the good stuff anyway, do you know what I mean? Probably leave all the random shots of um, motorway service stations or whatever that out of it anyway. But. You could have a you could have a great montage of just motorway service stations all cut together. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's 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 a, the the pain is real. Like um, I think the way I back up now, I've got one of those um, what do they call them? NOS. Uh, so it's like a wireless drive connected oh, to NAS. My, yeah, yeah. NAS. NAS. <laughs> NAS. NAS. NOS. Um, so it basically it's time machine backupping from Solid. my computer and the external yeah. drive I store stuff on onto that drive and if i'm ever away and i lose everything i can access from anywhere in the world by just putting in this url and nice. putting in my password so i can i can access um my data but yeah. uh and like all the video stuff i've got an extra backup of it but um you always kind of it's it's like um like there's always this anxiety that comes in with all this stuff whether it's like um I, I knew I'd get an opportunity to say this. When I hired a Tesla last year, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and you're, you're like charging it and, and I was pushing it to, you know, I was really pushing it to the limit. So what it was telling me that the range was ended up dropping massively. And then if you miss your charging point in a yeah. service station, you end up finding that you're on, you know, basically I was getting massive range anxiety. Oh um, no. <laughs> and there's this, this same thing with like, you're, you're, you're getting data anxiety. Your data anxiety. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true, but I've done it before. I've I've lost hard drives or wiped hard drives by accident, and I always get that sinking feeling of like, oh no. But actually, you know what? It's I still I still did it. You know, I still have the experience. I'm a bit disappointed about the ride out one because I wanted to get a nice little montage of of me going across Tower Bridge with all the friends around me and everything. But you know what? I still did it, and everyone was still there. <laughs> It's just I won't be able to look back at that, you know, apart from in the, the photos that did survive my SD card wiping. But I think you do put a big emotional value on data, and it, it's it's all it's very it's right. It is your those are your memories, and um, it's the equivalent of like yeah, if your house got robbed and or your or there was a fire, God forbid, and you lost your like your wedding album or something. There's a real emotional value to the memories there, and that's true whether it's a paper album versus a yeah digital copy on a hard drive somewhere but it's, it's this it's this um hoarding mentality that we've all developed from whether you've got a house full of clutter and you, you yeah. don't want to throw anything away because you might need it 
Um, yeah. I certainly have that with cables now here. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. But um, also there's, there's the whole kind of side of things where um, you're building up all this data and if you have too much data, you can't find anything because oh, yeah, yeah. There, there's so much and the, the unedited footage is a thing oh, yeah. and, and um, just touching back on like one nice thing that Apple phones do do is when you delete photos or videos, it puts it in a recently deleted folder and won't actually let <laughs> yeah. you delete it until you go into it and delete yeah, yeah. it. So yeah, yeah, delete it again. Yeah, they, they, yeah there's, there's an interesting kind of thing there. But um, And also I realized when I was um, out in the Philippines this year and it's just incredible sunsets and sunrises. Um, and the first thing I realized is to capture a sunrise, you don't get up near sunrise you get up an hour and a half before sunrise and go mm -hmm. to the place and set your cameras up and then try and capture it and if you're really yeah. unlucky and you've ridden your moped up this what they call the mountain which is just a massive hill you've yeah. got to the vantage point and then this mist just descends in and you're you know waking up at four in the morning has, has achieved nothing but and <laughs> the sunsets were much easier to catch and you really you're interested in dusk after the sun has gone down and you have mm. these beautiful colors but I suddenly realized I'd kind of fallen into this trap of fixating upon capturing the moment rather yeah, than yeah. living the moment and enjoying the moment and really, you know, um, getting the most out of it. And so you end up being this not human person or not, not, um, was it, you're not living in the moment, basically. Living the life through the lens. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then if you, you might not capture it the right way or you're then, you, you know, we see everyone on their phones, fixated on their phones and not engaging with each other. You, you, you always observe this now. Um, it's, it's, just, it's just quite funny to see it. And I, I wonder whether that's a reaction, that whether there'll be people reacting. And, you know, you were never like on social media, like like you were never on Facebook. If I tagged you in a funny video from, from Boomtown where all those girls were um, prancing around in front of you and, and you're you're in front of the, the broadcast computer, like... A real, real true moment of my life there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you just got all these booties like going up and down, and then Ben looking at a computer like completely oblivious <laughs> to them. But um, great Facebook moment. Uh, yeah. But but I mean, well, I you're... was on I, I was on Facebook, like I said before, quite before, but but before we met really, and <clears throat> I think the the real turning point for me was um, when I was running to and we. And we got to an interesting point in the company where, where externally the things I was in the most successful point in my life, and and um, but internally things weren't going how I going the way that I wanted them to go originally, um, for a lot of reasons and a lot of uh, a lot of things that I've spent a lot of time thinking about since. But it, I was in this weird place where I would, I, you have that projected outside of look. You know, running a company and at a, a pretty young age, and and it's music as well, so getting through all these concerts, all this kind of stuff, and and being the face of the company, and and there's there was amazing parts to that too. But internally, just having there's all this stuff that isn't the way I want it to be, and and um, really are like affecting me mentally. And, and I think the most kind of depressed and sad I've been is during when I was the most successful. In a way, it's an interesting two-sided coin there like half the time you're in this amazing high and then half the time you're really low but at that point Facebook just became this thing where I it would I would go on to it and I just before it was all about friends and I would share links and 
and it would be places where I'd learn things and Twitter as well. You know, I'd had some really interesting people that I'd follow and I'd get, I just really learned something new every time I went there. I used to, I, back in the day when you could still do it, I used to actually catch up with the feed chronologically and tweet what I'd make, go back to it. It would stay where I started and I'd catch up. But then it switched this moment where, I'm not sure it was an algorithmic thing or just a personal, personal emotional thing, but it got to the point where it was just really upsetting to, to look at Facebook really. Like, because it, it's a lot of people projecting that positive element, but not the, not anything real. So I just see people having Post posturing. Lives, yeah, and I'd be posturing. like, ah, I'm not feeling like that right now. So it would make me feel really bad. And so at that point I switched to using it as just self-promotion, which is actually probably making the whole system worse because it's useless other people that have looked at things that I've posted and been like, oh God, I, my life sucks compared to like this guy, but. No, I, th I think it's, I, th I think people see stuff you're doing and I think it's making them think, well, why don't I do that? And if they're making excuses for why they don't do that, then yeah. they, they haven't maybe gone through enough. And, and I think that um, what's interesting about you saying about your success point and, and everything, I, I wonder if that's to do with um, how fixed your expectations were, how much you'd um, sacrificed in order to get to that point. It's, it's that thing, isn't it, where, where um, you can do something and be completely independent but not really have any budget to do it or you can yeah, get yeah. external people in in you know and, and um to, to get budget you need to make compromises really yeah that's it yeah you, i mean you can yeah you i always say that yeah it's the working with other people is is the best and the worst thing that you could have done with you because like if 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 it had just been me the entire time then it would just never what it is, but um, equally that led to, to to negative sides of it as well. I mean, back to sort of how other people perceive trip and things like that. I think I think what I want to do a little bit more, where as I go along, which I haven't done, which I've filmed, but I haven't <clears throat> worked out how I'm going to put out yet, is like is actually filming when I am feeling really shit, <laughs> because a lot of um, uh, to be fair, I, I thought that I would have had more down points during this first leg, and maybe it's because I'm still close to home and I'm still in contact that I've um, that and maybe there's more downsides to come. Hopefully not, <laughs> but I mean, I had a couple of situations, you know, um, over this trip where you know, um, breaking up with a girlfriend, going leave, actually being alone for the first time after just the crazy weeks and weeks before uh, before I left. You know, if you. I, three different projects and doing exams for my degree all in the week before I left um, and building the bike and paying the route all this kind of stuff and um, and then I got a massive cold and food poisoning and all this kind of stuff before I went so that moment when I my sister left me at the Airbnb and um, and I was alone for the first time after months of just intense activity just felt and did feel really shit I just literally sat on the sofa at the Airbnb for like for two hours, just like just clinging on to the that feeling of of being with those people that I love before I left, and uh, I want to make sure that I share that as well as I go along because I think I, I think I, I think it is there is a negative aspect to social media about um, just being yeah being feeling sad that that other people are having great lives that you are and this. And feeling, you know, sad that you don't get enough likes as everyone else. Um, and I just want to 
We want to minimize that while maximizing any kind of inspirational value or or really just egging on people to do what they want to do at the same time. So you went cold turkey in a way. You had this kind of, or, or you had this extreme kind of point you got to, and then it's all gone. Um, yeah. Which is going to be the most kind of, uh, it's, it literally knocks the wind out of your sails, I'm sure. Yeah, it was the, it's probably the most, like, it's the most social, because I, because I had this deadline, I just, just said no, I said yes to everything, basically, work-wise, life-wise, love-wise, and just put, um, yeah, for literally for probably at least the f two months, if not more, before um, I was just all out, um, and it was the most probably most social time I've had in the last uh, in the last few years, really. Just like with working with new people every day and everything. So then, yeah, just to go to that to be on your own um, in, and then just just to know that you're going to be on your own for the next however many years or months is. It's really, yeah, it's, it's not an amazing feeling, actually. It's pretty upsetting. I think it takes a lot of humility to kind of um, share that with people. And, and I think it's really healthy because I think a lot of people feel this social pressure to appear happy all the time and to kind of yeah. fall into line with the posturing and, you know, check out this or, you know, I've done this. And it, it always makes me think of the... Um, what is it the, the boyfriends of the girls of instagram you know who oh, have yeah. to take the photos of the and their posture and it's like you take loads and loads of photos of them in the sandy beach looking amazing yeah. and and you know it's just it's it's uh i mean i guess in history it was you'd get a portrait painted wouldn't you and mm. um it would be a really nice depiction of you uh, and you you know kind of sit there for hours having this portrait painted or whatever and and yeah and it would it would be like that so yeah, I just think everything's a lot more concentrated and extreme now mm. that, that kind of people get like that. But I think it would be great for you to to give people that, that insight. And um, yeah, not, I, not enough people are doing it, but I think when people do do it, it's, it's generally well received. I mean, if you're, yeah. if you're ever worried about someone thinking that you're like that, you just have to be, you know, more authentic, more... Uh, show your vulnerable side a bit and uh, mm -hmm. it is also amazing how many people then open up themselves they're like oh yeah well you know i didn't feel so great when i got my dream job because yeah you know I, I, it wasn't the way i expected yeah absolutely it's good to be in a place where you can do that really now um so we'll see it can go too far the other way as well into then you're working it for you're working the uh emotional angle for another uh for more likes and that kind of thing so it's always a, a fine line to tread, but I think as long as I'm doing it for doing it honestly, really, I think that's the key. And um, just yeah, sharing how you sharing how I'm feeling is is going to be the key. I've I've written a daily diary which I'm going to be publishing um, the back uh, blogs for um, in the next few days. And one of my things that I note each day, um, you know, the distance I've travelled so far, the where I am. <clears throat> the weather and then just how I'm feeling as well you know um I had to cross out tired in everyone because I put tired 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 but um it's a given that I'm a little bit tired every day but um on top of that I'm tracking like how I'm feeling I think is a, is a key part of what I want to what I want to log yeah definitely I mean it's really great so you're you're in Sofia for how long now you, you're taking a... yeah I'm in um for about a month um because I'm working along the way uh, i'm working out of here um out of my friend 
Neil from Ramp out of the Ramp office um, in Sofia. So I'll be here for a month and then I'm going to yeah, head off into Turkey and, well, depending on what visas I get, um, into Iran, Pakistan, India um, over the next few months. I'll have my stops decided. I want to, because I've, what I found really quite nice about this trip is that I had um, uh, Sofia as a goal. That really helped me through because I could sort of um, really see where I was going, basically. And, so, and there's nice progress there. And I knew that when I got here, I had had the Wi-Fi that I could uh, get addicted back to and I had uh, somewhere to stay and that kind of thing. So my goal is to, my aim planned out, um, either in Iran or in eastern Turkey, and I'll um, I'll know that, and then we can we can book another date, have another um, another chat, another podcast, another video catch up um, each month or every two months, I suppose, and then I'll be yeah working out there for another month, carrying on cycling for another month, and then just repeating that until I get back to London, um, however long it takes. So there's no fixed time limit on finishing, but there are steps along the way that you've got kind of planned out. And we're hoping we might have an Iran contact for you ah, in, te te in Tehran. I've got to follow that up. Um, awesome. But uh, yeah, I, re I really like the fact that because I think if I was even attempting to do what you're doing, I would probably still be in Belgium. I would have got sidetracked and, and I'd be like, oh, there's, yeah. there's really great stuff going on here. And, you, you know, but you're yeah, kind yeah. of sticking to the littlest hobo kind of mentality of like, you just keep moving on. You're not going to, but I mean, yeah, and you I have mean, these, you have these planned stops. I, yeah. A lot of it is just, you get the itch really. Uh, like, because of, because I like that. I just like, a, I really like that sort of existence of, of the, um yeah find food find shelter communicate with new people there's novelty of new scenery continuous new scenery like i get the pleasure of seeing a new waking up to a new sunrise and and going to bed to a new sunset every single day um so it's actually really i really love that <laughs> and i think it would be hard if i didn't obviously because i'm going to do a lot of it so even here for even here I was before I arrived I was like oh I can't wait to get on that laptop and get coding and got a few interesting projects coming up um, and then as soon as I got here I was like oh man I'm missing being on that bike you know I just want that simplicity of life again so I, I want the I, I need the balance as well I think I like having the consistency of 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 relationships for a while as well that's the only downside I think I've cycled like I said before I've been on a few trips and the longest I've cycled before is about two months and solidly and after that two months i was really quite desperate to not be cycling so i think i found a good balance in that i can cycle for about a month or so um have that amazing rolling circular experience of just fulfilling those basic human needs really and exploring new places and then have a base have an airbnb or a hostel or a hotel or whatever in a bit in a bigger city explore the music explore the culture make longer but, um, longer, deeper connections, and and then you know, and connect back to home and things like that for a month, and and not have to worry about moving on, and then get back, you know, get back into that into that cycle. So it's a plan. So yeah, I'll, I will um, I'll update you with my departure plans when I'm going. We can uh, and find find a time to record another yeah another episode. That'd be really great, and I hope um, you know. Uh, uh, okay, you say always do what Dan says, and and I'm saying. <laughs> 
do as I say, not as I do, because I have a massive backlog myself. But get all yeah. that editing done. Just get through all yeah, that yeah. editing to this to, <laughs> up to this point, so that when you leave Sophia, you're like, you know, you've got it all logged or whatever. And yeah. um, certainly with the certainly with the Insta 360, if you want to send me the raw files or anything, I'm happy yeah. to kind of have a have a crack at some of those for you. Nice. Um, I recommend the desk. Have you got the desktop suite, the actual software for the yeah. computer? Yeah, I've done it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, they just did a new update. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think uh, one other geeky question I've got is yeah. I've heard that um, Bulgaria has one of the fastest Internet connections in the whole of uh, uh -huh. Western Europe. Have you found that? Well, it's been good. We had a few glitches before this. Um, while we were testing things out, but actually this seems to be okay. Um, I haven't actually run a speed test, but um, I, I've been very happy, I have to say. I think that's why I want to get a good chunk of work and video editing and stuff done here, because I know I won't necessarily be able to rely on, on getting a solid connection for a little while after this. But yeah, I have no complaints. I, I would definitely say it's a good spot to come out and, and work and, and live. And um, that's what my friend Neil's done, really. He moved his company over here um a while back and it sounds amazing to do you can get the ryanair flight that you heard earlier for 20 quid to uh to, to the uk to london or manchester or whatever for for um in a couple of hours and yeah it's actually a solid place i think to, to live and work the same for belgrade i'd say so that's uh definitely test test it out at his office i'd be really interested. i'm sure he has a, you know the fastest you can get over there but and obviously yeah. you're used you're used to google campus and and i'm oh, sure universal yeah, had yeah. an amazing connection as well and and uh you know i'm, I'm just talking domestic standards really yeah myself, yeah but, yeah um, yeah I'll, I'll send you the screenshot <laughs> <laughs> um no but it's been really really great chatting with you i, I can't believe we've done an hour and 40 minutes i'm nice. definitely i'm definitely not going to do any editing myself on this um no I, yeah, well, if you put it are you going to put it on hoxton somewhere i might put it on our youtube um i've been yeah. i've been geeking out on youtube because we really are um when you stream live music and djs playing music um if it's been released you're going to get a copyright infringement i think it's yeah, yeah. great i think it's great the way they're going where certain more progressive smaller labels um will allow if there's an infringement and you get flagged they'll allow uh, that uh, to stay up and they will derive uh, revenue. Monetize, take the monetization basically yeah. they will take yeah. the monetization but i've been watching uh pewdiepie this this guy's got the most youtube followers yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> i'm really i'm really taken by a really interesting guy and um i i realized that uh each time that my my dslr camera has gone into its sleep mode and, I've, and the screen's gone is the perfect time to put in an advert or something so oh yeah yeah uh you know don't don't blame don't blame us for advertising blame the uh, yeah, yeah. The, the camera but um I, I think i'd like to put it on the hoxton fm youtube i'll happily give give you it as well um yeah that'd be good i'm gonna put a, it depends on how up i get with my editing but i'm gonna edit it a little bit i'm also going to make a audio podcast um with the, the chat and put that up as well and then just see um who is interested in listening or watching and then yeah we'll work on it from there but it's always good to chat um, I know we get into interesting sidetracks and that's why I thought Dan is the person that I want to chat to about my, my crazy experiences because 
there's always a story from Dan to match. <laughs> the, uh, well, I'm old. I'm old. You're, you're young. I'm old. Uh, but it, it's it's really inspiring that you're doing it. Um, it's a real pleasure and really an honor to be able to talk to you about it. I hope we can keep doing these installments. Um, yeah. Once I've done the tiny little cuts where the, the cameras come off and I've put that up, I'll, I'll send you the video. I'll send you, you. You can extract the audio or do you want me to do it? Yeah, well, I'll sit down. Yeah, great. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, nice one. Yeah, well, really, really so cool. Soon. And uh, we've got projects coming up together anyway, even though you're, you know, all over the world. We've, we've got other stuff going on. So, uh, yeah, good luck. Stay safe. Um, yeah. Final question. Any physical ailments? Saddle sores? Anything uh, like that? Yeah, well, everyone everyone seems fixated about my, uh, about my saddle. <laughs> all of a sudden, every, I get a lot of questions about um, how saddle sore I am. But actually, that's not the problem. The, the main problem I've had is my wrists, which I, I didn't even notice because I've got quite an aggressive position on the bike just because that's the stem I had and I ran out of time to buy a new one. Um, so my wrists, I, when I got to, when I, when I stopped um, and I kind of started noticing, my hands have actually swollen up <laughs> and they've, uh, they've, the palm is like, it's calloused and swollen. So yeah, a nice high stem and big padded handlebar tape and big gloves for the next the next step but other than that um no ailments oh and the other only other ailment is that i had a fight with a pavement in austria and um ended up in a bush and my knee hit the pavement so i have a bit of a uh, of a scab on my on my left knee but that could have gone much worse but <laughs> it was more just me being tired from a long day and the parrot the weight's quite high compared to what i i've ridden before with the paraglider on top so i misjudged the a really steep downhill turn, misjudged it and just ended up in the in the bush. Um, but I hope that hasn't happened again. I'm a bit more in control of it this time, so I will. Uh, hopefully, I won't have to buy any more ibuprofen for, for, oh. the, for the next few legs. Well, a good a good wake up call maybe. And um, I yeah. hope I, I want to know how much lighter your bike with luggage with everything gets as you progress. I wonder whether yeah. you start uh, decluttering. You're, you know, even more... the bike life. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that I'm going, that's, that I'm really going to notice, I think when I get into, into Iran and, and sort of desert parts of the world is I've got a six liter, um, dromedary water bag. And really in, I've, I got in Europe, um, and in, well, everywhere I've been so far, you, every, every five, 10 K you stop somewhere where you can go and ask for water or you can, um, you can buy water if there's a petrol station if, if you don't trust the tap um, or you can just fill it up from the toilets or whatever. So I've really only used the bottles of my bike because I can just fill it up whenever I want. But when I get to somewhere where there's hundreds of kilometers between somewhere where I can really reliably ask for water, I'm going to literally have to take six to eight liters of water on the bike, which is going to really almost a paraglider's worth. Of water. <laughs> the bike's going to get heavier as I get warm, as I get into warmer climbs, I think. Um, but I'm feeling good about it now. Um, we'll see. The other thing is the road surface. If it gets more rocky and uh, more mountain bikey, then it might, it might struggle a little bit. But we'll see. I'll give you an update after, after Turkey next time. Amazing. And uh, I've just thought the final, final, final thing. <laughs> How many punctures have you had so far? Oh, well, I'm going to start. I'm going to keep a tally. But the hilarious thing is. So I've got these amazing tires, which are really puncture resistant. I've, I've only ever had one puncture on them before. Um, and fingers crossed, so far I've had zero punctures on the actual trip. 
But I, I had a leaving do at Look Mum No Hands, in, which is a brilliant little cafe bar cycle shop in Old Shoreditch. Street. Old Street, yeah. Um, in Old Street, yeah. yeah. And they, um, they displayed my bike and I got the whole cafe for the, for the Friday, Friday evening, which was amazing for them, really. Or the whole back of the cafe. And, um, and I, I, first time I'd ridden with everything on, had my big leaving do said goodbye to everyone, went to get back on the bike to cycle at home, and I had a puncture. I had oh, gone seven man. kilometers and I had a puncture. So I, I was there by where the radar studios actually yeah. um, were. Uh, and I, I had my, all my panties off. You know, this is at like midnight in Old Street on a Friday night. Oh, God, Drunk Friday. People stumbling around and I'm, I'm changing my inner tube. Half of Essex the, uh, is there. In Old Street. Oh, my God. What, a, what an experience. But then since then, it's not... Uh, yeah, touch wood. It has not happened. So, so shout shout out the uh, shout out the tire manufacturer. Is that Gator Skin or? No, I'm a Schwabel Schwabler Marathon Pro. Okay. Plus. Okay. Um, yeah, and and that's why that's why you ride out in the road because if as soon as you get to the gutter or the storm drain or anything like that, you've got all the washed up bits of glass and everything else. That yeah, Old Street is terrible for it. Is a bad idea. Old Street is terrible for it. I'm sure it would have happened there, like right, right near there. Yeah. Which is why it's yeah. a good, a good place to put a bike shop or fifteen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe that's why they picked it. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, Ben. Uh, thanks so much for your time. I'm really, really, really pleased with how that all came out. We didn't really yeah. plan it at all. I probably should have, but um, as you say, it's always nice to have a have a chat. Um, and just for everyone who wants to follow everything about you, you know, get all your instalments. Get all the edited video that you're going to upload. Yeah, yeah. Um, can they can they just go to benbowler.com and just find you know the the chosen yeah, platform? Yeah, that's the central place. There's links out everywhere there. So there's um, what's going on there. I've got my daily diaries. Um, like I mentioned before, I'm also doing more uh, wrap up style blog posts um, about the experience and about feelings and uh, maybe some maybe some techie stuff, bike techie stuff in there if people were interested. And then I've got the Instagram daily, uh, daily photo, assuming I have a connection. Um, I've got YouTube, which I will be gradually uh, publishing to over the coming weeks. Uh, I've got Strava, if you're also a fellow runner like you have become now, Dan, you can follow me on Strava and get really annoyed by the, the, uh, how, how far I've traveled in a day compared to your, your ride. And the final thing I've got on there is my satellite tracker, which is for my um, parents' sanity. So every twice a day, I update my map so you can see the last seven days of where I've been uh, traveling across the world, which is yeah, it's quite cool to see. It's quite funny to zoom in. You can sort of see where the random field that I'm camping in, if you're interested, um, on there. But yeah, lots of ways to, uh, to track me down. So that's uh, B-E-N-B-O-W-L-E-R.com. That's it, yeah. Um, and this is a guy who's not, not really doing anything on social media ever. And now he's deta you know, detaching himself, going around the world, um, exploring it, exploring himself. And he's suddenly become this social, social media uh, mogul almost. Yeah, uh, it's when, it's, when, it's, when there's something to publish, that's where, where I jump in and make everyone feel bad for... Uh... Uh, for not following their dream yet not yet but i'm sure yeah. many many people will uh exactly. when they see how much fun and anguish you've been going yeah. through um, how hard work it is right okay so this has been 
Ben Bowler updating us on his Ben around the world uh, travels uh, on Hoxton FM. Awesome. See you next month. Yeah, definitely. I've got my thumb on the picture. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Dan.